you. This is Pastor Tudor here welcoming you to another episode of our revolutionary podcast as we are, well, as I am here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And so today we are going to hear the harshest letter yet to date that Jesus has been giving to the seven letters, you know, to the seven churches that we've been studying. In fact, this is the harshest of the seven letters. And this is the one that has the, how would you say it? It has the, the greatest sense of urgency. I mean, you, you feel it, you see it in Jesus's words, in his tone even. You can, you can tell even the tone. And the reason why Jesus is so passionate and brings the harshest and the harshest criticism and the sharpest words is because he loves this church and he loves the Christians in this church and he loves you too. All right, look, in the same way that if, if you were, if you know, if, if you had a puppy that was literally heading into oncoming traffic, right, you wouldn't just call that puppy calmly to turn around. You would scream your head off, not because you hated that puppy, not because you, you despise that puppy, it's because you loved that puppy. And I want you to know, as we hear God's harsh words, okay, I want you to know he is doing it out of love because he wants what's best for us. So let's listen and let's see what God has to say because he might yell at you right now. So here we go. Obviously, you can tell if this is your first time, you're like, okay, that's different. If you, if this is not your first time, you're probably, okay, yeah, that's different. Yeah, listen, um, I know, I know. I, I, I got new socks, right? I got new socks. That's, that's the deal. Uh, no, listen, I'm actually, I'm actually, for those online, for everybody else, listen, I know maybe some of y'all feel like way underdressed right now, but it's okay, because what I am and what I'm wearing right now is the illustration, all right? It is the big idea, it is the illustration for the sermon today that as I go, this will become and make a little bit more sense here and there up until the very end. That's when the big reveal hits. So, like my wife said, we are in a series right now, the book of Revelation. We are halfway through the seven letters to the seven churches, and we are on the final three right now. And again, for those of you, if this is your first time, and just as a reminder, these seven churches, these seven letters that we have are an amazing gift because these seven churches are revealing Jesus's heart towards Christians. So listen, hey, if you're a believer, right? I'm pretty sure you have been confused and wondering one. I was like, look, what does God want from me? Like, how can I be a Christian now in 2020? Like, what is it going to take to follow Jesus? Well, these seven letters, if you haven't figured that out by now, they are literally saying God's heart. He is saying in every letter, I love this. I love this. I love this. Listen, you got to work on that, all right? And look, I hate that. I mean, it could not be any clearer. So as we continue on with today, today's is especially a little extra dramatic, all right? So for some of y'all that like that drama, like that, this is going to be a little bit more, but, uh, but it's super interesting. But here's, and here's why, all right? This, the one that we're going to look at today, the, the letter for the church today is pretty much Jesus having an intervention with one of the seven churches. Has anybody ever seen an intervention online or on, on a movie, on a TV show, right? Have you ever been a part of one? Hopefully, if, if you know, I know it's maybe a little awkward if you, it was for you now. But anyways, if you've ever seen an intervention, right, what is that? It's because someone is having and doing something and living a kind of way that is very destructive, right? Living in a kind of way that if they don't change their life now, 
something is going, something bad is going to happen and it's probably going to be irreversible, right? Does that make sense? That is, that is, I'm loving all the people as they're coming in. They're like, wait a minute, what, what is, I know you, ex, you missed the explanation, all right? You're going to have to wait and see. But anyways, the, the thing with the intervention, guys, is it's, it's serious. And if you've, it's just like this, how do you say it? Um, just flood of emotion and love, right? It, an, an intervention is usually done by surprise, right? The person doesn't see it coming, and then they see all their loved ones there, and then they're like, wait, what's going on? And then everyone is pouring out their heart. I mean, just drenched to say, please, please listen, please listen. And they're hoping that the person can see what they can't see, that not only are they hurting themselves, but they're hurting others, the people that love them. But, all, I mean, you know, sometimes it's helping someone see that can't see and maybe doesn't see, but it's also helping the one person maybe who refuses to see. Like, they kind of know, but they don't want to kind of go there. Well, this letter, this letter is Jesus having an intervention with that kind of a person. I mean, it's, it's great. You're going to see it. So here we go. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3 now, and we're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to just do little bits at a time. So check this out. Verse 1, Jesus approaches this church, and it says, write to the angel of the church of Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits, and the seven stars. I'm going to pause there. We're going to come back. We're going to break up verse one in a little bit. Now, for those of you, again, as a reminder, and if this is your first time, I'm going to help you track, okay? Every time Jesus, in these seven letters, introduces himself, the image that he has, how he is seen and perceived, is an illustration, very much like mine right now. It's an illustration to help them see something and understand something super important. So what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus has his hands full, doesn't he? Right? He's holding the seven spirits, and he's holding the seven stars. Now, we know that with the, you know, this is not seven individual spirits. This is actually the Holy Spirit of God, one spirit. And the seven churches represent, because in the Bible, guys, seven is a complete number, all right? I know, it's, I know it's an odd number. It's not even. But in the Bible, the seven means completion. God made the world in seven days, and seven always has this fullness of completion. So the seven churches represent the seven churches of all time, all right? So the church as a whole in every age. And Jesus is holding the Holy Spirit that has been given to the church to equip the church, every single church of all time. The fact that Jesus has the Holy Spirit in his hand is because this church, you're going to notice it, is not tapping into accessing what Jesus is pretty much saying, here you go. The other hand right, was the seven stars. And Jesus earlier in Revelation 1 tells John, the mystery of the seven stars is this. It is the seven angels or the seven leaders, pastors. So here, in the other hand, Jesus has leaders and influencers that God has given. And Paul talks about this in Ephesus and well, in the, in the book of Ephesians, that God has given the church gifts, the apostles, pastors, uh, evangelists, teachers, and prophets. These five have been given gifts to the church, to equip the church to be able to live in this world and not just survive but thrive and save other souls. The fact that Jesus has these seven stars, these seven angels, these seven pastors, the leaders, it's because this church is like, yeah, we don't need to listen to those guys. Yeah, we're good. We don't need those guys. We don't need the Holy Spirit. I think we're straight. We've figured it out. We've kind of hacked this. We're really good at this, God. We don't need it. Jesus has his hands full and shouldn't. He, and by the way, guys, that's the same for us today. Jesus has in his hands everything that we need, but it's up to us to take advantage of it. And because this church is not taking advantage of it, this church gets the tongue lashing. 
of a lifetime. Thus, out of all seven of the letters, Jesus has the harshest criticisms for this church. This, this, it's spicy. All right, this one's spicy. All right, go back to verse one. Look at the rest of the says. He has these things, and verse one says, I know your works, right? He's telling this church in verse one, uh, the one who has the seven stars, seven spirits. I know your works, and you have a reputation for being alive, but, what does that say? You are dead. You are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This must have hit seven churches like a bomb. Because just so you know, Paul, and I Paul, I'm gonna get these guys all confused. John writes this letter because Jesus says, write this letter, the, the book of Revelation, write it to these seven churches. And all seven of the churches had an individual letter addressed to them, but they also had copies of all the other letters that Jesus was saying to everyone else. So pretty much saying, listen, I gotta talk to you, but hey, you better be paying attention. You paying attention when I'm saying to him because you need to learn just in case you don't do the same thing, right? Sounds like a good, like a dad and a parent, right? Rebuking the one kid and saying, listen, you better, it's gonna be you real quick, so you better pay attention. So here, everyone, when they must have read that, I'm like, yeah, you got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. I guarantee you all those churches must have been, what? Like shocked. Why? See, I guarantee, look, when we look at and we look at the city of Sardis and all this, because see, Sardis had a reputation, so did this church. And it was a good reputation. See, here's something really interesting about Sardis. Sardis was known to be a pioneer kind of a city. It was a trade center and, I'm sure, and something else in a minute, I'll tell you later. And these guys, according to archaeologists and historians, Sardis was one of the first places in the world to dye clothing, to dye wool. So they were kind of innovators. Not only that, Sardis is considered to be the first place in the world to mint, and, and, you know, to mint coins of silver and gold. The first time to kind of use that as money, as transactions. So Sardis was a very affluent society. They had a reputation of the nice things, the fancy things, right? That's Sardis. And the church a little bit the same way. And, and the, hey, the, notice that Jesus says, I know your works. And those works had a reputation. Well, I was like, man, if these churches could have a vote, right? Who's going to be prom king of all the churches, right? If they can do that and vote, which one of us out of these seven is crushing it, all right? Crushing it in the kingdom game. They all would have voted for Sardis because they had a reputation of being alive. Great messages, great preaching, great services, great community, great programs, great outreach. They had a reputation of it being, oh, it's right there. And Jesus says, yeah, I see that all. And it's, it's you're dead. It's nothing. That must have shocked all of them, including Sardis. No, here's the one thing, guys. If you've been following me, hasn't Jesus had at least one good thing to say to every church up until now? Right? This is the first time out of these seven churches that God, Jesus, has not one good thing to say. He just goes straight to the problem. No, first it's, look, hey, I love this, I love this, look, but we got to talk. This one is, we got to talk, straight up. Your reputation is alive and you are dead. He's going right into it. You know what this sounds like? Jesus, it sounds like Jesus when he rebuked the Pharisees. And some of y'all, if y'all don't know the story, in Matthew 23, Jesus talks to the ones that in Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture, the ones who, if they would have voted, all right, who among us is doing great when it comes to following God? Who among us would God be most proud of? People would have voted for the Pharisees. 
Because the Pharisees were the rule keepers. They were the scribes. They, no one, no one can compare to them in their Bible knowledge. I mean, they knew the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible better than anyone. And not only that, they prided themselves on be, being the best rule followers. Nobody can touch them. Nobody can touch them in their application of what was the Old Testament requirements. And they thought, man, these guys are holy. Not only that, they loved to flaunt that stuff. Some of the Pharisaic prayers were prayers that Jesus, Jesus kind of called them out on. And then a sinner would be like, oh, God, forgive me, a sinner like me. And then the Pharisee on the other side, Jesus, thank you that you didn't make me like this guy over here, man. I appreciate it. All the love, man. This guy, whew, thank you. I love it. See, and I was like, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. These guys were full of pride. They thought that they had it all because they looked good on the outside and big time looked good on the outside. They loved to take their priestly robes that they were meant to only have and use during ceremonies, during the worship of God. It was only meant for that. Guess what they did? They went outside in public and wearing their priestly robes because they wanted everybody to know, oh, look at that guy. Look at, hey, hey look at that guy going this way. Okay, all right, look at him. Oh. They wanted to flaunt this. And Jesus, in Matthew 23, you know what he would constantly say to these Pharisees? You hypocrites. You say you love God, but you don't even lift a finger to help anybody else. In fact, you make it harder for anybody to follow Jesus. Well, not follow God in this case. And Jesus had one rebuke. He said, you guys are like white-washed stones, white-washed tombs. See, back then, I mean, just like even today, right? I mean, imagine here you have these sarcophaguses, right? Tombstones and tombs there. And when you would paint them in white, they would glisten and sparkle like marble in the Middle Eastern sun. They would look great, beautiful, in fact. And when you, something over in Jerusalem, there was even a hill full of these kind of tombs. And when they were all painted white, it was just, I mean, gorgeous. It looked like the hill was made of marble. But Jesus said that, yeah, that's you guys. You look good on the outside. You look fancy and you got it all together on the outside. But you're like a tomb. You got white paint on the outside. You look good, but you, you dead on the inside. That was, again, scandalous for people, to, for Jesus to say that to them because everybody wanted to be like the Pharisees. They thought that was the standard. And he's like, no, nah, it's not the standard, guys. They're dead on the inside. Look, I don't care how fancy I can dress up today. If I didn't take a shower for the last two months, no level of fancy clothing is going to cover that up. Yes or no, right? Yes or no, all right? That's just the reality of it, right? Can you cure, can you cure cancer by putting a Band-Aid over your spot? You can't. You have to address the issue deep down inside, and that's why Jesus is going straight into the inside. You look good on the outside. You look like you got it all together. You guys are probably the most effective, most well-known church in the region, but nope, you guys are dead to me. You guys are dead. None of this matters. Let's look at the next one. Check it out. Verse 2. I mean, he's going to add it, all right? He's bringing a smoke today. Look, be alert, Jesus says, verse 2. Translations also for be alert means wake up. Wake up is, the, is really the phrase there. Be alert. Wake up and strengthen what remains, which is, check it out, about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Do you see that? They have works, but Jesus says none of them are complete. They are missing something. What are they missing? Well, this is really interesting. If you look, and Jesus talks about this, and Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, listen, you could have, speak in the, most, in the tongues of angels, and you can give all of your money away for charity, and you can heal the sick, and you can have the best messages in the world. You can do this. You can do. He's talking about not just good deeds. Paul is talking about godly deeds. 
You can have godly deeds and have everything on the outside looking like you are right, looking like you're following me. But, he, but Paul says, if you are without love, without agape, which is the love of God, if you are doing this out of a way of proving others for the love of mankind, to be recognized and known, if you are doing this so that God can love you, it's like you're trying to earn his love, you're wasting your time. In fact, he says, you have accomplished nothing. Even if you have given your life and sacrificed your life, you have done nothing, accomplished nothing without love. Jesus said that also. If you abide in me, you will be able to do much things, but if you, without me, you can do nothing. He is saying here, you guys, all of your works are done for show and pride, and you're doing it not for me, you're doing it for yourselves. None of your works are complete before me. And do you see the urgency? Why Jesus doesn't have time to talk about any of the good things? Well, first off, there's nothing. But he doesn't have time because he says, whatever is left is about to, what did he say? Die. What is he talking about? Are they going to die literally? No. This, their spiritual life was about to die. Their spirituality, their connection with God was about to die. Because, and here's something I need you all to understand. Some of y'all been here. Some of you might be here. And Jesus is going to have an intervention with you today. Listen, when you compromise, when we compromise in our faith, in any way, when we, when we look, look, what, look what happened. Look at the, the slide that has been happening in these last three churches. Uh, if you haven't followed along, we did one real quick. There was, uh, we went from Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardis. These are the churches in sequence. Two churches ago, two, two, two churches ago in Pergamum, um, great church, the minority was holding on to some corrupt teachings that was causing the church to compromise on sin. It was just a little sin, though. A little bit, just a little bit. The next church, we see a church compromising with a little bit of sin to the next church, the Thyatiran church, compromised with a lot of sin. The majority of them have not been. And now what was compromising, now they are tolerating it. They're like, yeah, well, it's really not that bad. And now we see a church that is dying in their sin. Do you see the slide? Do you see the slide? How if you don't address even the smallest thing, it matters because it grows like a weed. And here in this church, he is saying, listen, your spiritual life, your spirituality. Now, he's not talking about salvation, guys. He's not talking about salvation. You could be saved, but you can literally let the, the light and the fire that is inside of you can grow and go dark. And he is warning this church. I was like, none of your good deeds, none of your good works, none of what you have on the outside is going to fix this. None of it is going to fix it. And he's trying to get them to see that, listen, all of your, your spiritual walk is hollow because you have no holiness. Your actions are hollow because there is no holiness. I don't care how good you preach. I don't care how good you sing. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how much volunteer hours you do. I don't care. All right, how much you read the Bible, how many times you have that memorized. Jesus is pretty much saying, look, if there is no love for me, all of it is useless and pointless. You're wasting your time. Not, that won't save you, and that won't turn things around. It doesn't matter what you look on the outside. It's what's on the inside. Look at the next one. Verse, uh, we just read verse 2, right? Verse 3. Verse 3, it says this. Remember then what you have received Remember then what you have received and heard and keep it. Repent if you are not alert. All right, so remember then what you had received and heard. Keep it if you're alert. I will come like a thief and you have no idea at what hour I will come 
upon you. Again, man, you see the sense of urgency there. Jesus ain't playing games. He ain't playing games. He's, saying, he's getting in this people, yo, you got to hurry up. You got to make adjustments now. You got to make adjustments now. And what did he tell him to do? Just remember what you did at first, kind of like the Ephesian church, right? In the first letter, he tells that Ephesian church, first love, right? You, everything you have is great, 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 but your, the, your love is not the priority. Like the love of God is not your priority. You're seeking, you're, you're serving me, but you're not seeking me. This is what happens when you don't make an adjustment. You become that Ephesian church when everything is great, everything is good. But if you all you do is serve God and do this and try it without intimacy, without walking with God, you go dark. This is what happens if that Ephesian church didn't make. And this is the slide. This is where you end up. And Jesus is hard. I mean, again, he has nothing to say. The harshest, most, most you know, direct words are addressed to this church because they've gone overconfident. They think they know it all. Remember that Jesus is holding the Holy Spirit. Jesus is holding all of those leaders, the people that pretty much this church is saying, look, we're great. We got a nice reputation. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need that. I think we figured it out. We can rely on our money, our, our resources, our, our people, what we've built here. They got overconfident. Listen, this is like uh, I had a conversation with JJ uh, a couple, two weeks ago. And JJ was telling me, he was like, dad, talking about football. Right, I can't wait to go play football. Can we, you know, can we go play football? Letters? Like, yeah, buddy, it's all right. I was like, yeah, because I, I know a lot about football. Like, I know a lot about football, a lot. I was like, all right, cool, cool. Okay, so let's do that. So, hey, well, how, how, how do you know? I was like, Dad, I'm going to be good, though. Like, I'm good. All right, I'm good. Don't, I'm good. How good are you? How do you know you're good? Because I play Madden every day. All right? I play a video game every single day. Like, I played, I know that Madden game, and because I know and I can do these amazing things in that video game, I think I can do it in person. And I'm like, buddy, don't work that way, okay? It don't work that way. Now, yeah, you can play the video game and learn the game. Like, you can learn things. I'm like, okay, I understand the game better. I know what I can do. But just because you play that video game doesn't mean you can get on the stage and just kind of start, you know, hit, you know, hit sticking people and, you know, getting that spin move and doing it exactly the same way as the video game. See, it was a little bit of overconfidence there. That's what this church was doing. This church was so overconfident. Yeah, I don't need to... I don't need to practice. I don't need to run routes. I don't need to do that. I'm good. Look at this. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't need the, you know, all these leaders and things. No, no, we got this, Jesus. We got it. And he's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Whatever you have is about to end. Whatever you have is about to end, and you need to wake up. And notice, did you see that phrase he said? I'm going to come at you like a, a thief. A thief. Now, the thief is interesting because every time Jesus uses this phrase, I'm going to come at you like a thief, that's a word of judgment. A lot of times it means, it, sometimes it references the, the end times, you know, when Jesus either raptures the church or when he comes again. This is not a, a reference to the rapture. Jesus is saying, I'm going to come at you like a thief, meaning when I show up one day, you're going to be shocked and surprised. In fact, Jesus even said it in the end, there's going to be a lot of people who did good and godly deeds. And they're going to look and they're going to be judged by God and they're going to say, Jesus, we did this for you and we did this for you in your name. We did this, we did this, we did this. And Jesus says, the most, probably the most shocking thing that's going to hit a lot of people, and I, I don't want that to be anything that God is going to say to any of you, but the chances are it can be. Get away from me. I never knew you. We had no walk. We had no relationship. You did it for yourself. Their, even, their words, their very words condemned themselves. Look what I did. I did. I did. I did. So that's not enough, guy. 
It's not enough. I don't care what you look like on the outside or what, what the resume that you've accomplished. None of that matters if the inside is empty. Jesus says those people are going to be shocked. Again, what does a thief do, right? If you've ever been robbed, your initial reaction was, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Right? No. When you're, sh- when you're robbed, what is your initial reaction? Oh, no, I've been robbed. Like, you're shocked because you didn't see it coming. Because if you saw it coming, you would have been there. Just like, locked and loaded. Oh, you, you want this? I got something for you. You want some? I got some. Right? That would be, be you, right? You would have called the cops. You would have been done that. Jesus says, listen, if you're going to keep walking in this pride, when I show up, whether if it's in the end or another time, you're going to be shocked. And he's trying to shock and all them right now before that happens. So that's what he's saying. You see, again, the urgency. But again, this was the other reputation that Sardis had. Remember, I told you, Sardis had a reputation, right? He said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You know that Sardis had another reputation of not just being pioneers. They were a military powerhouse. They, they were known for their military defenses. And this was Sardis' reputation, that they had the best defensive walls in the region. The best. Impregnable. All right? You, I messed that word up, but whatever. You cannot, you cannot get in and break in. Look at the thief, right? You ain't going to be able to break into this town because we got the best defenses in the area. Perfect. Top-notch. You know what's funny? Sardis, twice in human history, we have in 547 BC with Cyrus II and 214 BC with Antiochus III. Two times Sardis was surprised, attacked, and conquered. They were sacked. The city was sacked two times in its history. And with ease, without a problem. How could two different armies sack the most well-funded and most, def- you know, the, the best military defenses? How could they get it? How could they do that? You know why they did it? Because the watchmen on the walls took a day off. The watchmen, again, if, if you don't know back then, you didn't have an alarm system, okay? You didn't have AT or whatever, whatever we got, Vivid and stuff. There was no alarm system, no security. It was human manpower so humanity right you would have people they would stand on the walls and they would watch if they saw an enemy coming they would warn everybody and the watchmen had the night shift all right anybody night shift people right love for you that's that's a lot all right you those who work at night they had the night shift because everybody was asleep and the purpose of the watchman was to wake up everybody if there was a threat to the city. And then they can be activated and then do the, you know, get to their positions. And that's what they did. But the watchman, two times in their history, took a day off. They're like, you know what? Look, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know, it's been, it's been a long day. You know what? We haven't been attacked in who knows how long. And even if we did, we got the best defensive walls around I think we can take a day off, right? Let's take a nap. Twice they took off. Twice they took a nap. And in those moments, they were sacked. Interesting, right? And Jesus is saying, if you think that the outer, the exterior, what's on the outside, your deeds, your actions, your words, is enough to stop me, it's not enough. See, Sardis had, now Sardis was like a fairy tale. You ever been, ever told the story, the boy who cried wolf, right? It's like a story with a moral, right? The boy who cried wolf is what? What's the moral of the story? If you lie all the time, the one time you tell the truth, no one's going to listen to you. And that might be to your death, all right? Even if it's serious. Well, Sardis, there was a tale for Sardis, and it was one about vigilance, and it was about pride. That if you think that, oh, you know, I'm good, the, the, the dangers of when pride goes up, your guard goes down, and then you go down. That's the story of 
Sardis. That's the reputation that they had of being very prideful. And he's, Jesus is attacking that pride. In fact, you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is acting like a watchman. He is telling everybody what? Wake up. Wake up because you are falling into the trap of the enemy. Wake up because whatever you have, you will be enslaved by this very sin that you are tolerating. Wake up, alert. That's what he's telling them to do. Get to your positions. Get to your, your spiritual positions because if you keep going down this way, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your eternal rewards because if you walk in this way, Jesus is not just talking about the judgment that he's going to bring. He's being the watchman that no one is being. He's trying to get them to wake up to the times, wake up to what's happening, wake up to the reality. Why? Because, not because he's angry. It's because he loves. He loves this church so much. He just goes right down to the root of the problem. They're saying, wake up before it's too late. Wake up. Why? Because he loves this church still. And that's what's probably the most shocking not that Sardis had a reputation and was dead. It's like us hearing right now one of the best churches and many people you've healed or prayed for. I'm not impressed by who shows up and who listens and what sermons you can do. I'm not impressed by any of that. All I've ever wanted was for me to walk with you, for you to walk with me. That's, that's it. Look at the next verse. Here's the promise. that every, every time Jesus has a letter, it always ends with a challenge and a promise. Look at the challenge and promise. I'm going to read five and six. In the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way of those who are walking with me. In the same way with those who are walking with me. The one who conquers, conquers what? Conquers pride. Conquers the temptation to think, I can do this on my own. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I don't need to rely on the grace of God. I'm pretty good. You know, I've got this. No, he says in the same way, if you conquer the temptation, you conquer pride. Those will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before the angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the church is plural, because this can mean, this is for all of us, guys. What is Jesus saying here? Again, if you walk with me, if you walk with me, you're going to get something. You're going to get a white robe. You're going to get, I'm, I'm going to dress you, right? You've been so concerned with the external, with the outside. Well, let me dress you this morning. Let me dress you today. Let me dress you because those who walk with me will be covered and given a white robe, not only throughout the Old Testament, but in the New. You know what the, the prophets and the gospel writers say? That we will be clothed in the righteousness of God, covered in Christ. Jesus was perfect. We are not good enough. But Jesus himself is and was good enough, was the good enough sacrifice for us on the cross. Because none of us could be. And when we put our trust and confidence in him, we are covered in Jesus' righteousness. And that righteousness works its way from the inside out. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you these white robes and you're going to walk with me. See, he's calling them out because you know what pagans did? Pagans cared about how they dressed on the outside. They wanted to be pressed, pristine, clean. Because if you were a pagan and you had these white robes, which they would carry around, if your robe was dirty, they would not let you into the ceremonies. If your robe was dirty, they wouldn't let you into the parties and wouldn't let you into the things. That's what the pagans did. And this church had now be, had a pagan mentality. They only cared about what they looked on the outside because they did not want to be excluded from society, excluded from the world. Jesus is saying, nah, but if you got, here's the thing. You are so concerned about what you look on on the outside, your reputation, the perception that you're giving. 
You're dying on the inside. No one knows it. And he's trying to rally the seven, the other six churches to rally to the aid of this one church. The one church that didn't need anybody needs the other seven to come rallying out around in prayer and in support to be lifted up. And see, so many of us, we walk in spiritual pride, like saying, no, I'm dying, but I don't want to acknowledge it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not okay. And you feel like it's not okay to say that. That's a lie. Can you, can you hear me? Watch me every, do you see this? To acknowledge the fact that you are not okay and not just to ignore that, that is not okay. That is not okay. Jesus does not want you to keep going down this road. Okay, if you're just so concerned about what you look like on the outside, no, because see, Jesus is concerned what you are on the inside. Because if the outside kept them from the ceremonies, the inside keeps you from the very presence of God and there in his hands is everything that you need. Everything that you need. So we need to be careful. In fact, the same word, the same word that was given to this church is the same for us. I don't care where you're at. Awaken and remain alert. For those of you, if you've ever read the Bible, how many times have you ever read in the New Testament? Be on guard, guard your faith, guard your heart. How many times in the Old Testament have we read that? We see that challenge to guard your eyes, guard your, your mind, guard what you put in, guard what you see, guard what you do, guard what you tolerate, guard what others say. So you are not deceived, you are not misled. We see it all the time. We are supposed to be awake and alert. And in this continual process of awakening, as we are alert, that is a continual process that we are supposed to be in. Because you and I, this is the thing about pride. You're usually the last time to find out you're dealing with pride. Am I right? Yes or no? You're usually the last one to figure out that you got a pride issue. Why? Because you've been telling yourself this whole time, I'm good. I'm fine. It's okay. It'll get better. You're the last one. And this is why you need brothers and sisters. This is why you need to be a part of community because look, it's, I, I love church online and everybody is on, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of reasons that we get it. You know, you probably slept in this morning. I get that. All right. You're probably sick. Stay there. Okay. You know, you don't, don't bring that unless we want to pray for you. That's a little different, but you know, but here's the thing. There's you, we cannot just hide in our rooms. We can't just hide online. And uh, some of us, you can even show up and still hide. You can show up and still hide, and that doesn't, you never get to the root of the issue there, and that's not what God wants. He wants you to walk with him. He doesn't want you to do anything to impress anyone. He just wants you, you to be honest and open. So we need to be awakened and alert. Let me read this. I, I'm, I'm going to give you some fire hose of Bible verses here. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 15 straight. Listen to the same heart that, is, that Paul is talking to this Ephesian church that Jesus is really addressing with this church too. Paul is saying, therefore, be imitators of God. Copy God, mimic him, not the world, as dearly loved children and walk. There's that word there, the relationship, walk in love. That word love is agape. Walk in the love of God. Walk in a loving relationship with God as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. A sacrificial, fragrant offering to God. But, here it is, sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking, casual cussing are not suitable, but rather give thanks for now and recognize this, that every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Do you know if you are saved and you do all of these things, you forfeit your eternal inheritance. You can still be saved and lose all of your eternal rewards. 
that Jesus had for you, if this is the game you're going to play, he ain't done. Let no one deceive you with empty arrogance, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Because of these things, therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness. These are the complete works that Jesus was telling the other church that they didn't have. The goodness and righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose darkness. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything is exposed by the light. Oh, everything exposed by the light is made visible, but uh, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, the scripture says, get up, wake up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that. Notice the same phrase that Jesus is saying, be alert, wake up. And notice this is when you wake up, you're going to wake up to the horrors of your sin. You thought you looked good. You thought you had it all together. But when you see deep down on the inside, there's a problem. But when you awaken to the problem, you are awakened to the solution. He says, if you wake up sleeper, the light of Christ will shine on you. That's his love. That's his love that's exposing, not just exposing the wickedness to call you out. It's the love that is healing you. That love that will remove that. That love that will do all that it needs to do to set you free. So we don't have to be afraid of what is God going to do to me, okay? He's going to help, okay? That's what he's going to do. Jesus ain't going to hurt you. He's going to help you. But you got to wake up and you got to own up to that. Because listen, I've, I've been to more funerals than I wish I could count. You know, then, uh, they're horrible. I messed that up. I don't care. Funerals aren't fun. I've had to host and lead and associate, you know, do some services. And every time I've seen a funeral, I look at that dead body, and that dead body looking nice. Usually got the best suit on that the person had, or the best dress, or the best jewelry. I have yet to see. I have yet to see a dead body come alive just because you put something fancy on the outside. See me? That's the same thing. I don't care how good you look on the outside. There is nothing that can fix what is on the inside, only light, only the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is the only thing power on, powerful enough that can kill the very thing inside of you without killing you. You catch me with that? The love of Christ is the only thing that can kill the thing inside of you that's killing you without killing you. In fact, it gives you life. And that's what we have to own up to. And when we do that, when we repent and we ask God to awaken us, and he does to his love and to his grace like we were talking about today, Jesus says, I got some clothes for you, but this clothes is for the inside. It's going to make its way on the outside. I'll give you some robes. And this robe gives you access to the presence of God. The righteousness of Christ in a relationship with him gives you access to God, gives you, produces actions, and it also comes with, check this one out, authority. These robes give you these things. Access to God's presence. In Matthew chapter something, okay, it's there, I promise. In Matthew chapter something, verse 22, chapter 22, Jesus says a story of a king who hosted a wedding and he gave out garments and robes for everybody to wear. This is the required dress. And if you, and one person snuck in wearing whatever he wanted and that person was kicked out. Listen, this robe that God gives us gives you the access, the only access towards God. Have you ever been invited to a wedding or a party that it was like black tie only, right? All right? If you're not wearing black tie, what, what's going to happen? They're going to let you in. 
Well, listen, the Holy, the Spirit of God, the love of God is that black tie that gives you access to his presence, access to not only what's in his hand, access to the heart of God. And that access produces actions, but that actions also comes with authority. You know how, how Paul wraps up Ephesians Look at verse six. Look at chapter six. He is saying, in essence, put off all of those dirty rags because that ain't helping and put on Christ. And look what he says in chapter six, verse 10 and 11. Finally, if I'm going to say anything else, I'm going to end here. Paul says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength and put on the what? The full armor of God. So you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. And he continues on talking about that armor. You know what that armor is? The armor is not individual things. The armor is an armor of light. It's an armor of light. It's an armor of truth. That's what this armor is. And when he says put on Christ, you're not just putting on a fancy dress. You're putting on armor. In essence, Jesus is saying, look, you're like a spiritual James Bond. And there, that's the last revelation with this right here, okay? Listen, have you ever seen a James Bond movie? James Bond is dressed to the nine every single time, right? He's, he can get into any party. He can get anything because he's ready. He can fit into all those places. In one second, in one second, he can be sipping his martini. But be careful because he'll be stomping on a dude's neck in about two seconds in the same suit and tie without wrinkling a thing. Listen, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you put your true confidence in him, when you are awakened to the reality of where you are, your massive need for him, he gives you a kind of covering that gives you access that nothing else can give you access to. And that produces authority that you can stand you can be a little spiritual james bond and you can stand and stand against everything and stand stand against the work of darkness in fact god can use you as an agent to expose darkness because that's what we're supposed to do not participate in it but expose it but you can't expose darkness without first exposing the darkness in you and that's if there was one thing that i was going to encourage you guys to do the only way you can get here you can't buy this yourself. You can't become this. You can only do it by putting your trust in Jesus. He's the only one that can wake you up. Have you ever had a dream that quickly turned into a nightmare and you knew you were dreaming and you tried to wake yourself up, right? Have you ever been there consciously? Like, okay, okay, whoa, hold on, problem. And you know, whoa, 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 whoa. wake up, man, wake up, wake up, wake up. This is a dream, wake up, wake up, wake up. And you do. Listen. The nightmare of what is sin is something you and I can't wake ourselves up from. We can't wake up from that. It's only the love of Christ that can do that. Just like a defibrillator, right? Just like a defibrillator. You ever seen that, right? They put that electric shock, right? Just clear, right? They put that electric shock because the heartbeat is dead and that, that shock awakens the dead body. You, know, I, you don't put a, a suit and tie on somebody who's dead and it makes them alive. No, you have to put something in them. And the love of Jesus is the perfect defibrillator that will, the, his love is so shocking, it awakens you. It's the only thing that can. And our prayer needs to be simply this. I don't care where you are because this has been my prayer this week as I've been prepping the sermon. Because I'm no, I'm no different. I have to pray every day, Lord, awaken me to anything. Awaken me to, if I'm compromising here, tolerating this. Awaken me to even whatever pride that I have. Awaken me and help me. I need them. That needs to be yours today. And I need you to be honest, whether you're at home or here. Jesus is saying, listen, I would not go another day without me because you're not going to make it. You need me. You need me. And it's time to get real and be real. 
because the, when we confront, when we're confronted by the amazing love of God, it awakens us like nothing else. We sang that song a minute ago, didn't we? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The author, John Newton, was a great pastor. The author, great, great leader, great theologian, but that guy was a great sinner. Before he died, before he wrote this song, if there was a competition for who deserved hell more, it would have been this guy. He was actively trying to win that competition. And he found himself working on a slave trade ship, complicit and complying in one of the most disgusting, horrific things that he could never imagine. And he was about to die one day. And he met God and he was like, God, I, I don't like, I don't, I know I'm going to meet you if I die. And God, forgive me. I'm sorry. And it was true repentance. And he was shocked that God still loved him. No matter what he had done, no matter how far he slid, no matter how dark his heart was, God still loved him. And that's why he penned those words. Amazing grace. How sweet was that sound when Jesus said yes to when I asked to forgive me. That saved a wretched, despicable, worthless excuse for a human being like me. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see I was dead. And now I'm alive. And listen, like the great Ravi Zacharias said, Jesus didn't come down to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that's what he wants for you. If you didn't get a chance to see me and see me in a suit and tie, I encourage you to go to my YouTube channel, all right, and search me up, uh, Tito Soto Longo, T-I-T-O-S-O-T-O-L-O-N-G-O, and uh, you can kind of get a glimpse of that and what that looked like. But again, in reality, guys, just remember, just to remind you, okay, I've never seen, I've never seen a dead body come to life just because you put a suit and tie on it. Same thing. You cannot dress yourself to bring yourself back to life. Okay, you cannot treat an internal problem with external solutions. Only the Holy Spirit, only the love of God can do that. And so, again, and this was even more, again, the biggest warning why we can't play with sin. Because, again, sin steals, kills, and destroys. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your connection with God. And don't let it. Don't let that happen. Because Jesus wants you to have life. And he alone can give you life. And so that's what you need. Listen, a revolutionary is one. The revolutionary that Jesus is looking for is not the kind that doesn't make mistakes. The revolutionary that, that Jesus is looking for are ones that realize that only life can come from him. And they're not going to pursue it anywhere else. And a true revolutionary is one that notices that when they are almost, that when they have turned around and they have gone too far, they know that kind of revolutionary knows that they can always repent and return back to Christ. And they do it not just to get a quick fix to appease their conscience. They do it because they realize, what have I done? And they're awakened to the reality of their sin and awakened to the reality of their really poor choices. And so a revolutionary is one who realizes and owns up to their poor choices and then corrects it by making the best choice possible, turning to Jesus. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. Keep doing that, all right? Don't compromise with sin because you will tolerate it and then it'll, you'll die from it, all right? Like you will, you will experience the effects, the full effects of it, and that's not what God wants. He wants you to experience the full effects of his grace and love. So do that this week. Continue to pursue Christ. Ask God to expose anything in your heart that needs to be removed and follow through on that. 
All right. And we're going to focus next week as we pick up our series. We're going to focus on what happens, okay, when you do do this. What happens when you do repent and you go and turn back to Christ? All right. What does that look like? And so it's going to be super exciting to, and I can't wait to be able to share that message with you. But until then, keep doing what you're doing. Keep following Christ. All right. And uh, revolve your whole life around him. And I'll see you next week.